Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. I expect you to feel what the Nichols family feels. I expect you to feel outrage in the disregard of basic human rights as our police officers have taken an oath to do the opposite of what transpired on the video. The Memphis police chief warns the public ahead of today's release of body cam video and the death of Tyree Nichols, calling her former officer's actions inhumane. We'll have the latest in that disturbing case. Also ahead, the latest from Ukraine following more deadly Russian strikes, likely in retaliation after the U.S. and its allies announced they're sending tanks to support Ukrainian forces. And that comes as President Joe Biden is considering a trip overseas to mark a year of war in Eastern Europe. Good morning and welcome to Way Too Early on this Friday, January 27th. I'm Jonathan Lemire. Thanks for starting your day with us. The five Memphis police officers who were fired after the death of Tyree Nichols have now been charged with his murder. A Tennessee grand jury confirmed indictments against former officers Tadarius Bean, Demetrius Haley, Emmett Martin, Desmond Mills, and Justin Smith. All five officers were members of a specialized police unit patrolling high crime areas in Memphis before they were all fired for their conduct during Nichols' deadly traffic stop. The charges against them include second-degree murder, aggravated kidnapping, and official misconduct. A civil rights investigation is also underway. All five officers posted bond yesterday. Police body cam footage of the confrontation is expected to be released tonight. The New York Times reports the severity of the video is what led to the quick firing and then charging of all five officers. Lawyers for two of the officers involved said yesterday they had not seen the footage, but their clients planned to plead not guilty. Tyree Nichols was pulled over on January 7th for alleged reckless driving. The traffic stop led to what police have called two confrontations between Nichols and the officers. Nichols was then rushed to the hospital in critical condition, and three days later, he died of his injuries. President Joe Biden issued a statement after the indictment asking to keep demonstrations peaceful. He wrote this, As Americans grieve, the Department of Justice conducts its investigation and state authorities continue their work. I join Tyree's family in calling for peaceful protest. Outrage is understandable, but violence is never acceptable. We'll have more on this story throughout the day here on MSNBC. Turning now to another headline, NBC News this morning is reporting that President Biden is weighing a trip to Europe next month to coincide with the one-year mark of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. U.S. officials say no decisions have been made, but multiple countries are being considered for the visit, including Poland. The trip also may not happen. The White House is reportedly exploring ways the president could recognize the one-year anniversary of the war in Ukraine. 
One idea is for the president to deliver a speech while in Europe, emphasizing the need for the U.S. and its allies to remain united going forward. Should the president end up traveling overseas, a person familiar with the discussions tell NBC News that one goal would be to create a moment as symbolically meaningful as when Ukrainian President Zelensky visited the U.S. in December, also around the one-year mark, some talk of President Zelensky delivering an address at the United Nations, though that plan has also not been finalized. Former President Trump commented on the Biden decision to send tanks to Ukraine. Trump took to his social media platform yesterday, writing, first come the tanks, then come the nukes. Get this crazy war ended now. So easy to do. In a later post, Trump wrote in all caps, if I were president, the Russia-Ukraine war would never have happened. But even now, if president, I would be able to negotiate an end to this horrible and rapidly escalating war within 24 hours. Such a tragic waste of human life. Certainly seems there that the former president is suggesting that Kyiv abandoned its attempts to retake its territory. Meanwhile, Russia launched another round of airstrikes at Ukraine yesterday, once again targeting the power grid, this time killing at least 11 people. NBC News foreign correspondent Raf Sanchez has the details. Russia's revenge. Just hours after the U.S. and European allies announced they'll send tanks to Ukraine, Russia unleashing airstrikes targeting Ukraine's power grid and ripping apart these homes. My life is broken. Why has it all happened to us, she says. Ukraine says at least 11 people were killed in attacks across the country, with thousands more fleeing to shelters. This blast in Kyiv captured by Sky News cameras. Where was it? President Zelensky saying we withstood another massive missile strike by terrorists. The strikes come just a day after President Biden announced the U.S. will send 31 Abrams tanks to Ukraine. Though they won't arrive for many months, Germany's 14 Leopard 2 tanks could be here by the end of March. Meanwhile, in eastern Ukraine, the war means new isolation. This bridge was the lifeline for Ukrainian villages on the far side of this river, but destroyed during the war. And now the only way across is this narrow walkway. Donated food, fuel and winter clothes all now carried on foot. Irina Korolenko's parents live on the far side, seeing them now a journey over icy water. This is scary to walk across. Scary, <laughs> yes. Families divided by war but finding a way to stay together. Joining us now, Pentagon reporter for Politico, Lara Seligman. Lara, great to see you again. Um, you've got some really good reporting uh, about how writing about the U.S. is providing Ukraine with the more updated versions of the Abrams tank. Of course, the announcement with much fanfare this week that the U.S. will be sending tanks uh, to Ukraine, triggering Germany and other European nations to do the same. Uh, and you write that they could be sending the Abrams A2 as opposed to the Abrams A1. So tell us the difference between the two. Uh, does that Could that speed up the timeline of these tanks reaching the battlefield? Because U.S. officials have been cautioning it could be months, even a year um, before they do. And what about this secret armor that Ukraine won't receive? So, Jonathan, this was a very controversial and very consequential decision that the president made to send the M1 tanks to Ukraine. Either version, the A1 or the A2, is going to be more powerful, more firepower, better optics than the older T-72 Soviet-era tanks that Ukraine operates. But even more consequential, the, the 
old, the um, newer A2 version is actually even more upgraded than the A1 version. There's uh, better firepower, again, um, upgraded optics for targeting. It has digital controls that allow the vehicles to move together seamlessly on the battlefield. It also has this independent thermal viewer that allows the commander to rotate separately than the turret, the turret, which actually allows them to scan and identify targets even more quickly and transmit those to the other vehicles. So it's upgraded technology here. And this is something that might be a game changer for Ukraine. Although it is important to say, as you said earlier, Jonathan, that these tanks won't actually be arriving until many, many months, potentially the summer or even the fall. So it's something that's definitely a long-term change for Ukraine and something that President Biden is very, uh, very intent on getting to Ukraine as quickly as possible. Quick follow up. Does this new technology make it even harder and more time consuming to train up on? Actually, the new technology makes it easier for okay. the Ukrainians to train on because it, it requires less training because it's everything is automatic. But a key point that I also need to mention is the armor that the M1s have. All the American armor, all the American M1s have this depleted uranium armor that is, as they say, the secret sauce to making the, these vehicles so much more lethal. Um, the, the key issue here, Jonathan, is that the exportable versions of the tanks do not have this depleted Uranian armor because it is classified. So if we're selling them to our allies, we have mm. to the, the, the contractor general dynamics actually has to strip that armor out in order to export them. So Ukraine, as the rest of our allies, we're not going to be getting that armor. All right, that's really interesting reporting. So perhaps not the fully optimized version of this tank, but still really sophisticated, maybe speed up the timeline a little bit. But of course, it'll be those European tanks, those leopards we've been talking about this week that could reach the battlefield in time ahead of the expected Russian spring offensive. Pentagon reporter for Politico, Laura Segman, great stuff as always. We're always are grateful when you can join us this morning. Still ahead, we're digging into a stunning New York Times report, taking a look at how former Attorney General Bill Barr pressed special counsel John Durham to find flaws in the Russia probe, yet it didn't go all that well. Plus, Congressman Adam Schiff of California announces a Senate run. We'll take a look at how the race for Dianne Feinstein's seat is shaping up. Those stories and a check on the weather when we come right back. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. MSNBC is going to be live here all night. Today's news requires more facts. Palestinians and Israelis are blaming each other for the tragedy that has inflamed the region. More analysis. Most of the states with the worst rates of gun deaths are ones where Republicans control the state government. And more perspective. This is not just about women and pregnant people in Texas. This is about people across this country. The world's never been harder to understand. That's why it's never been more important to try. MSNBC. Understand more. 
Welcome back. The New York Times has some new reporting about the inquiry led by special counsel John Durham. Durham, you recall, was appointed by then Attorney General Bill Barr in 2019 to look into the theory that the investigation into Donald Trump's 2016 campaign's ties to Russia stemmed from a conspiracy by intelligent law enforcement agencies. The Times reports that after nearly four years, Durham's work is finally coming to an end, and it's doing so without uncovering anything like the deep state plot alleged by former President Trump and suspected by his attorney general, Bill Barr. What the Times did find after a months-long review was a, quote, strained justification for opening the inquiry in the first place and its role in fueling partisan conspiracy theories that would never be charged in court. Instead, the Durham probe became roiled by internal dissent and ethical disputes and was unsuccessful, even as Trump and Barr claimed it was making progress. The Times describes deeper internal fractures on the Durham's team than previously known. Those include the unexpected resignation in 2020 of Durham's longtime aide following a series of disputes between them over prosecutorial ethics. Specifically, Barr pressed Durham to draft an interim report that would be damaging to the potentially Clinton and Biden campaigns and FBI as the 2020 election drew near. A year later, two more prosecutors strongly objected to plans to indicted lawyer with ties to Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign based on evidence they warned was too flimsy. One left the team in protest of Durham's decision to proceed anyway. A jury later acquitted that lawyer. Meanwhile, another California Democrat is launching a bid for Dianne Feinstein's Senate seat. I've always believed that what's right matters, that the truth matters, and that decency matters. And when a dangerous demagogue tried to undermine our democracy, I wasn't about to let him. You can't trust this president to do the right thing, not for one minute, not for one election, not for the sake of our country. We have proven Donald Trump guilty. Now do impartial justice and convict him. After all that, I wish I could say the threat of MAGA extremists is over. It is not. Today's Republican Party is gutting the middle class, threatening our democracy. They aren't going to stop. We have to stop them. That's why I'm running for the U.S. Senate. As you just heard, Congressman Adam Schiff ended the speculation, making it official yesterday. It comes days after Schiff, who had served as chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, was removed from the committee altogether by new House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Schiff took a jab at McCarthy on Twitter yesterday, writing, quote, Happy birthday, Kevin. I'm running to be your next U.S. senator. It appears there will be a crowded field in the Democratic primary for that Senate seat. Congresswoman Katie Porter has already announced her campaign. Congresswoman Barbara Lee has reportedly told colleagues that she plans to run as well. And Congressman Ro Khanna has said he's considering a Senate bid as well. We'll hear more from Congressman Schiff later this morning. He will be a guest on Morning Joe. Meanwhile, Senator Feinstein gave an update on her timeline for a decision on whether she'll seek re-election for another six-year term. Senator, Thank when are you, you going to make your decision about 2024? Oh, probably in a couple of months. My husband passed away not too long ago, and so I'm still going to do that. I'm so sorry. And I want to get through it. He had cancer, and this is always a hard death. So I think I'll just take some time. But what do you make of people who are already announcing, like Katie Oh, Porter. I think it's all fine. I think people should, if they want to run, run. Uh, for me, I just need a little bit more time. 
Many believe the 89-year-old will retire amid questions about her ability to do the job. She's the oldest sitting member of Congress and would be 91 years old by Election Day. To her credit, she's welcoming primary challenges. Still ahead, Duquesne University isn't laughing about a prank during one of its basketball games. You'll recall what this one is. And then we'll remember a legendary voice in college basketball. That'll be next on Way Too Early. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Fang. Did you know my weekly show on MSNBC is now available as a podcast? With my decades of experience as a trial lawyer, you'll get an insider's perspective on all things legal. At a time when politics and the law are inextricably intertwined, my guests and I break down what's next and why it matters, both inside and outside the courtroom. Search for The Katie Fang Show wherever you're listening and follow. Bowser has come in for Boston. Here comes Tatum. It's a three. Off. Rebound Horford. Back to Brockton. Blocked by Brunson. This one's over. The Knicks have won. Why did we show that? A big block by Jalen Brunson seals the win for the New York Knicks in overtime last night. They beat the Boston Celtics 120 to 117. Jalen Brown, who's been such so wonderful this year, missed two huge free throws at the end that would have won it. Knicks hang on an OT. Ugh. LeBron James and Giannis have been named captains for next month's NBA All-Star team. James, the leading vote-getter, was announced yesterday as an All-Star for the 19th time. 19. Tying Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the most selections in league history. LeBron has been a captain in each of the six years the NBA has used this format. Giannis, who led the Eastern Conference in voting, will be a captain for the third time. The captains will pick their teams from a pool of eight other players just before tip-off on February 19th in Salt Lake City. Backups from a list of reserves selected by coaches will be announced next week. You can see some of the contenders on your screen right there. So remember yesterday we brought you that viral moment involving a food delivery person who wandered onto the court during Wednesday night's college basketball game at Duquesne? Well, that's prompted the university to review its safety protocols and tighten security measures after what it deemed was a prank. You'll recall that Willie Geist and I sussed this out yesterday. In a statement, the school said, quote, this is a prank planned in advance, done for internet exposure. We determined that the individual was wearing a mic while someone filmed him as he walked onto the court during active play. While the incident may have seemed funny at the time, and no harm was done, we are mindful that incidents like this can put players and officials at risk. No word on what happened to the McDonald's delivery. Meanwhile, some sad news this morning. Longtime college basketball broadcaster Billy Packer has died. The news was announced late last night in a tweet from Packer's son, who told the Associated Press his father has been hospitalized for the past three weeks with several medical issues and ultimately succumbed to kidney failure. Packer was the voice of 34 straight Final Fours, working as analyst or color commentator for each tournament from 1975 to 2008, first at NBC and then over at CBS. He received a Sports Emmy for Outstanding Sports Personality, Sports and Studio Analyst back in 1993, and he was inducted into the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame in 2008. A legendary voice at the game, Packer, was 82 years old. 
Let's turn now to the Australian Open tennis tournament down in Melbourne. Stefanos Tatipas got past Karen Kachanov in four sets last night to advance to his first Australian Open final. The third-seeded Greek will play either Novak Djokovic or unseeded American Tommy Paul in Sunday's championship match. Djokovic and Paul are playing right now. I know which one of them my money's on. The women's title will be decided tomorrow between reigning champion, reigning Wimbledon champ, Elena Rybakina, and first-time Grand Slam finalist, Arena Sabalenka. Meanwhile, Frank Reich, the starting quarterback for the first game in Carolina Panthers history almost 30 years ago, is now returning to the franchise. Reich has reportedly agreed to a four-year deal to become the team's sixth head coach. Reich, who was fired by the Indianapolis Colts midway through the season, was chosen among nine candidates interviewed for the job, including Panthers interim head coach Steve Wilkes. The Super Bowl matchup, the matchup for Super Bowl 57 will, of course, be determined on Sunday. It should be a really good day of football. The Philadelphia Eagles will host the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC Championship game. That kicks off at 3 o'clock Eastern. And then at 6.30 Eastern, the Cincinnati Bengals will go to Kansas City to play the Chiefs for the AFC title. The winners will meet in the Super Bowl on February 12th in Glendale, Arizona. My official picks, Eagles Bengals. Time now for the weather, and look who's here. Meteorologist Bill Cairns with us with the forecast. Morning, Bill. Good to see you. The weather looks pretty decent for both games. I mean, it's going to be cold in you know, Arrowhead, but sure. it doesn't, you know, but you know, we could see snowstorms or horrific weather this time of year. Two outdoor games, but won't be that bad. Where we are going to see problems this weekend is going to be in the middle of the country and into the Rockies. East Coast, you look beautiful once again. What else is new? What a January it's been. So we have a little clipper storm, little areas of light snow we'll move through Wisconsin today, Milwaukee, heading through Green Bay, eventually into Michigan tonight. The second storm behind this, this is a little more significant. This one will have a good deal of snow, but mostly in the mountains. This is where it's been. I mean, if you ski near Utah or northern Colorado, up here in Idaho, I mean, it's just been an incredible season. It's not only been California, but the mountains, you know, like Utah, picked up over 400 inches of snow this winter. We'll see a little bit of light snow heading for areas like Chicago Saturday afternoon. It only looks like about two inches, but just enough to make it slippery if you're going to be having driving plans out there. And then by the time we get to Sunday, not much of this makes it to the northeast. It turns the rain with a little bit of light rain and then heavy rain down in areas of the south. So as far as snow totals go, uh, the mountainous areas of the west, that's where we're going to see the problems. Wyoming areas of Colorado back into Utah and also up through Montana. There's that little narrow band of snow that will go from Chicago, Detroit, Grand Rapids, but nothing for areas of the east here. So here's how the weekend forecast is going to shape up. Uh, 60s, Today's beautiful, 50s in the southeast, no problems on Saturday. 46 in Boston, you really can't complain this time of year on Sunday. On Saturday, Sunday, even New York at 50 degrees, Jonathan. And Jonathan was asking, he was saying, when's the snow coming? And I said, I have no idea because I, there is none in the forecast. It, I find it deeply disturbing. I like snow. I don't mind winter. This is not It's normal. not winter. Not normal. No, it's not. Bill Karens, thanks, buddy. Still ahead here on Way Too Early, President Biden criticizes House Republicans on what he calls the party's mind-boggling debt ceiling threat. We'll take a look at those new remarks next. Welcome back to Way Too Early. It's 5.30 a.m. on the East Coast, 2.30 out West. I'm Jonathan Lemire. Thanks for being with us. President Joe Biden delivered remarks on the state of the economy yesterday, announcing that the U.S. is in a stronger position than most expected. His comments came just hours after the news that the GDP rose 2.9 percent in the fourth quarter of 2022, 
which exceeded predictions. During a union event in Springfield, Virginia, Biden announced the Invest in America cabinet will be charged with ensuring that his economic plan is generating private sector investment and continues to drive economic progress. Biden also touted the nearly 11 million jobs created under his administration, and he slammed Republicans for their economic plan. Look, if Republicans want to work together on real solutions and continue to grow manufacturing jobs, build the strongest economy in the world and make sure Americans are paid a fair wage, I'm ready. But I will not let anyone use the full faith and credit of the United States as a bargaining chip. The United States of America, we pay our debts. And the very notion that we would default on the safest, most respected debt in the world is mind boggling. I'm not going to get into their reckless threats and take the economy hostage in order to force an agenda that's going to only limit American workers and weaken us internationally. I won't let that happen. Joining us now, White House reporter for Politico, my friend Adam Cankran. Adam, good to see you. Um, the president there, his remarks all aimed at the Republicans and their threats to play some politics with the debt ceiling. And you've got some new reporting this week that I wanted to get into. We remember that in 2011, we had a similar crisis, uh, but we didn't reach it. President Biden, then as vice president, involved in negotiations. But you find that people on both sides of the aisle think there's a chance at this time it might actually happen. Yeah, John, we talked with folks on the Democratic side, on the Republican side, economists who were there in 2011 and saw us almost uh, breach the debt ceiling. And most of them are actually kind of terrified that this time could actually be worse. There's a lot of similarities to 2011. You have a Democratic president, incoming House Republicans who want spending cuts. They have demands. The difference here is a couple things. One, House Republicans this time around really have no identifiable idea of what exactly they want to extract outside of uh, a lot of political pain for President Biden and the Democrats. Uh, the second thing is there's a lot of concern that Speaker Kevin McCarthy doesn't have the influence he needs really to negotiate on behalf of his conference. If you remember, it took, uh, what, more than a dozen, 15 rounds to just to get his job as speaker. There's a concern that he doesn't really have the power. Now, uh, I spoke to Senator Brian Schatz, the Democrat. I asked him kind of what makes him concerned here. And he said simply, uh, quote, that he believes that these people are nuts and they're serious. So what's the approach? We know the deadline is June-ish because of the measures the Treasury Department uh, put into place last week. Uh, we've reported the White House has started to reach out to some of those more mainstream Republicans saying, hey, you don't want any part of this. Is that going to be enough? What other tactics are in play? And how is McCarthy going to try to wrestle his, his caucus here? Well, the White House hopes that that and public pressure is going to be enough. Uh, we should expect President Biden and Speaker McCarthy, uh, the plan is for them to sit down before the State of the Union. But I wouldn't expect much to come out of that. That's likely going to be a reiteration of where the White House is, which is that they are not going to negotiate over a debt ceiling. It's just kind of too serious. The potential for cat catastrophe is too high. On the Republican side, there's a lot of work going on to figure out 
what exactly to demand here, what exactly to ask for. Of course, that's been complicated because there are some folks uh, on the right uh, wing who believe, you know, there should be very, very deep spending cuts, perhaps touching Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. On the other side, Speaker McCarthy, even former President Donald Trump, has said, do not touch entitlements overall. It's uh, a wildly unpopular idea. So a lot still of work to go uh, to figure out exactly what Republicans want. So, Adam, that brings me to my last question. We know if we do go over the cliff what the fiscal uh, consequences would be. But let's talk politics. What's the theory here for Republicans that they think this will be a winner politically if they're going to be the ones likely blamed for what happened? But also, or if they want cuts to popular programs like Social Security and Medicare, what's the upside? Yeah, the, the upside, at least in their mind, is that uh, you know, after a couple years of really, you know, multi-trillion dollar spending uh, out of the Biden administration, this is their opportunity to kind of rein that in, to say, uh, you know, this has been enough spending. Inflation for a while has been a problem. And this is our way, spending cuts, reining that in to kind of get the nation's debt under control. Uh, obviously, if you look at the polling from a voter perspective, that has not always kind of that has not been as much of a priority. And obviously, for the White House, they've looked at the last year, said the economy is doing great. We are getting closer and closer to avoiding a recession that everybody's been predicting for a year now. Why would we divert from our current course right now? All right. One of the best reporters on the beat, White House reporter for Politico, Adam Kankerin. Thank you for joining us this morning. Still ahead, we're going to turn to CNBC for the latest in business news. They'll provide a preview of the trading day on Wall Street. As you can see, markets, woo, they are in the red before the bell. We'll come right back with that. Time now for the business. And for that, let's bring in CNBC's Arabile Goumede, who joins us live from London. Arabile, investors looking ahead to another busy day of earnings and economic data. The Fed's preferred read on inflation, the PCE, is due later in the day. How is the market shaping up this morning? We saw the red on our screen a few minutes ago. Yeah, so a little bit of red right now, John, but I wouldn't really take too much heed of that because we have seen the market actually move into the green for the week, right? The Dow Jones and the S&P are on 2% up for the week then. The Nasdaq is perhaps beginning to pick up some speed as well a little bit later on. The tech counters have been the fairly interesting ones. So that will be fairly interesting to, to look out for. But it possibly is the quiet before the storm. You can see it's only just towards the negative when it comes to those futures then. And it's really the quiet before the storm because, yes, we've had had this massive storm of earnings news come out this week. But next week is the big numbers, of course, coming out from the Federal Reserve. Will they hike interest rates by 25 basis points or 50 basis points? Well, another interesting factor will be that PCE number you just pointed out today. Core PCE numbers are expected to come out at negative 0.1% for December. That figure is very interesting because it may be lower than um, some are projecting because um, a lot of other elements like retail sales, which came out at negative negative one percent do point to a weakness in consumers. And if that happens to be the case, then you could see a weakening of the economy. Maybe now is the time that we're beginning to see consumers stutter a little bit following all those hikes by the Fed over the last year or so. So the government's first reading of the GDP, which, of course, measures the economy, shows that it grew at 2.9 percent last quarter, better than expectations. Our last guest, Adam Kankren, talked about how for nearly a year now, we've been thinking like, oh, the recession's coming. It still hasn't. Is there a chance the United States may avoid it? 
there is a chance, actually, a very good chance, right? Um, you, you never know with this data, actually, and really things are really based on a really resilient consumer, so it does feel like they're dodging raindrops at this point in time. That's how good the consumer has really been, and that's how good we, the U.S. economy has been at uh, dodging uh, this recession by the seams of things. But that weakness is beginning to take its toll. Prices are continuing to rise. Fuel prices, energy costs, all of those continue to play their part. Inflation is still higher than the Federal Reserve would, of course, wanted. You are seeing a tight labor market, even though it's not completely weakened, but with the number of uh, banking or financial services companies, the tech counters that are continuing to cut firms, only very few are actually deciding to, to increase uh, um, uh, the number of, uh, of you know staff that they have. Maybe everyone should go work at Chipotle. I mean, they're looking to uh, get at least 15,000 workers in, mm. uh, in in a very interesting season ahead. So it's going to be interesting out on that front, too. And lastly, Arabile, we're going to get more corporate earnings reports. Uh, we've gotten some this week, more coming. Tell us what to expect. Yeah, so we've got American Express and Chevron that are up on the deck then today. Those are bound to give some interesting elements as well. Of course, American Express, the more fluent kind of in, uh, um, uh, investor as well, as well as uh, market participants, Chevron as well. In that market has been very interesting to see whether the upper end has actually agreed, the middle class and the higher end have agreed to go into uh, that vehicle uh, sent sentiment. But interestingly, Intel expecting to lose more money in the current quarter, surprising investors with a bleaker than expected out look for both the PC market as well as then for the key data center division. They've missed on the top as well as on the bottom line. So weak guidance then pointing to more trouble uh, for the uh, company. Certainly not good when it comes to those earnings picture. On the other side, we also had Visa come out with its numbers. Revenue growth continuing to wind back to pre-pandemic levels uh, in that first quarter number. Uh, the post-lockdown travel craze seeming to ebb and flow a little bit and consumer spending slowing uh, in what is clearly a tough economy. Um, the world's largest payments processor still surpassing Wall Street, uh, Wall Street estimates, though, uh, seeing profits come through there. Of course, the shares managing to gain as well on the back of that news. So, yes, I'm interesting numbers having come out uh, as well. That continues to be the case, of course, in what has been a very, very busy week, particularly on the S&P. Those uh, shares bring out all of their earnings. All right. Live from London, CNBC's Arabila Gumede. Have a good weekend, my friend. Thanks for being with us this morning. Still ahead here, if the baby boom created modern America, where will power, wealth and politics shift when it ends? The Washington Post's Philip Bump joins me for that conversation next on Way Too Early. Welcome back to Way Too Early. The baby boom generation changed the landscape of America with a huge influx of new people influencing everything from pop culture to national politics. But what will be the impact of the baby boomers as they move into retirement age? That's one of the questions that this man is looking to explore. He's national columnist for The Washington Post, Philip Bump, and the author of the new book, The Aftermath, The Last Days of the Baby Boom and the Future of Power in America. Philip, congrats on the book. Thank you, sir. Holding it up here. Um, let's start with a big question. Sure. What will the eventual legacy of the baby boom generation be? 
Well, I think it's safe to say the baby boom is responsible for modern America, right? I mean, both in the fact that you had this massive population of people that was born that re- forced America to reshape around it, right? It created huge new economies. You have to, you know, diaper sales went through the roof in their, you know, 40s and 50s. You have to build all these schools. You have to accommodate this massive population as it moves through time. And that made government respond to it. That made the baby boom itself have a, a huge amount of power. And so America really reshaped around this huge population of people as it got older and older and older, which has continued basically until the last decade or so. So they have been wielding so much power for so long. And there has been at least this sense of resentment, perhaps, from other generations. Hey, why don't you seed the stage? Explore that and also have for the first time, though, you say they've got a rival generation. Yeah, exactly. So consider that the boom was so large for so long that there really wasn't anyone else competing. This cohort of people, this age group, really dominated national attention. Resources were poured into it. As I said, you have to build all these schools. You have to do all these things to accommodate this big population of people. Now they're finally reaching the inevitable stage of retirement, right? Which is reshaping a lot of other things, you know, in the same way that they reshaped past economies. But you also now, for the first time, have this group, the millennials and Gen Z, even younger. Millennials right now, there are almost as many millennials at the age of 40 as there were baby boomers at the age of 40, right? And so you have this other group. So while the baby boomers very much need to have resources, more senior housing, you know, medical costs, uh, taking care of things along those lines, you also have this younger generation that needs things like schools and childcare. And so there's this real competition for resources that the boomers haven't seen before. So you talked about uh, in the book that Florida offers a bit of a sneak peek as to what the future could look like. Tell us what you mean beyond just the increase in senior citizens who live there. Right. Well, but I mean, that's a key point, right? That America, if you look at the demography, the projected demography of America in 2060, the Census Bureau says it's going to be much more heavily Hispanic and much more heavily older, right? And the heavily older makes sense. You got the baby boom that's getting older. Uh, but that's essentially what Florida looks like now. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of question, you know, does that mean that American politics will look like Florida politics? I don't think that's the case. I mean, you know, Florida's Hispanic population is heavily Cuban-American, for example, which is a unique, unique group. And more importantly, I think Florida's older population is much more heavily white because the baby boom is a much whiter generation than our younger generations. And of course, by 2060, it's younger generations that are going to be the newly old generation. So it is a preview of where America broadly is going to be. But when you look at the nuance of it a little bit, it doesn't necessarily predict what America itself will actually be. And is it true, revisiting what we talked about a second ago, the idea of baby boomers being reluctant to give up, whether it's positions of prominence in politics or business or culture. Um, is that something that is a flashpoint right now, or, do you, or is the data not actually back that up? No, I think you're right. I mean, I don't think that there is, you know, obviously there's no collective vote among baby boomers. Let's stick around, right? But you have a lot of baby boomers. And so a lot of them are like, well, I'm still working, and I just don't want to have this job. And you have more of that happening. Of course, you also have at the same time, a, a part of the tension, it's not just the bottom up. There's also tension from top down, meaning age-wise top down, because you have millennials and Gen Z who can make themselves present in a way that young people couldn't do before. They can be on social media. You know, this the great quote from Harper's, a PR guy says, you can be sitting in your bedroom in Cleveland and get a million followers overnight, right? Like that couldn't happen to teenagers back in the, when the baby boom was teenagers. And so young people are also presenting themselves and saying, hey, look at us, pay attention to our needs in a way that also exacerbates that tension. It's a fascinating book. It is entitled The Aftermath, The Last Days of the Baby Boom and the Future of Power in America. You'll have to write a sequel about future generations, Philip. National yes, College, The Washington Post, Philip Bump. Thanks for being with us of this course, morning. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. 
That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer, like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.